Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chea, Larry Jones, and from Orlando Medical News, John Kelly. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Good afternoon and welcome to Healthcare Now. That's right, I said good afternoon because we have moved to the 1 o'clock time spot. Thank you to our audience for moving us up there. Yes. I hope you guys follow it along and we just bump up the numbers and keep growing and growing and growing. As usual, I'm here with my uh, two co-hosts. I've got John Kelly and Larry Jones. Gentlemen. Good morning, Dr. Good morning, Mark. Doc. Good afternoon, Dr. Mark. Ah, okay. okay, we're, we're going to be keeping score here, so that's one for John, so we're gonna, but we're going to make it right. We're really, we really are excited about this. Um, it's a... Uh, it's a big day today, and I hope uh, hope everybody enjoys the new time. And, you know, Dr. Mark, I'm hoping that our listeners enjoy the one to two time frame and don't have to get up quite so early in the morning. I know, I know <laughs> and you don't have to start that cup of coffee, and, and we don't either. So that's, that's, all, right. that's all good. That's it's right. all good. Well, Larry, we ended our last show uh, talking about some of the possible assumptions in healthcare for 2021 and 2022. You want to pick up there? Sure. You know, we had started out with the pandemic will continue to impact healthcare delivery. And there's been some breaking news, I believe yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill and executive order Monday that immediately ceased all local COVID-19 emergency orders in the state. Right. And one of the things that he says is we are no longer in a state of emergency and people are going to be able to make decisions, and they have the wherewithal to protect themselves with vaccines if they want. Right, right. And we've looked this over a little bit. Yep. In a word, by, by far, we're not the experts. But just right. to point out a few things and you know, what this really means to, to all of us here in the room and our listeners. Right. So this is basically going back to the local government regulations that popped in that said you have to wear a mask and you have to do whatever. They are... No longer allowed. It kind of goes in well, line. It invalidates with, the it local. Invalidates them. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so it kind of goes along with the earlier when they were there were some fines that were set up, and then once they started levying the fines, and that really they never stopped. panned. No, out. It, it really didn't. Uh, by the way, uh, Doctor Mark, this bill actually goes into effect July one. July one. July one. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, this bill, part of this bill, makes future bills like this. Less powerful, right? Because it limits the the period of time that they they span over. Emergency order can only last for forty two days, right. and then it has to be renewed, including including this one. So that's that's, that's kind of I thought that was interesting. I guess it's probably yeah. a little bit of politicking to get things done, right? But but businesses and institutions like that can still have their own regulations, and and Disney's Correct. already come out with a statement saying, yep. "Listen, we're wearing masks." Right. Um, it'll be interesting yep. to... Walt uh, Disney already has... Yeah. And, and, and you're right, Dr. Mark. The order will only apply to government orders. It will not affect businesses in the state right. that still have mask mandates like Walt right. Disney World. Right. And last weekend, I went to uh, the Orlando City game, and, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, we're in, we're in masks and socially distanced and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I, I suspect that the uh, the sports leagues are probably going to still go on. And yeah, you know, they're protecting themselves, right? right. I mean, right. They, they, they're... Coming out of this rut, we're getting, you know, stimulating the economy, mm-hmm. getting things picked back up. And so everybody's sort of doing their part. But that's but, really what it's about. It's, it's I mean, but are, you know, are we allowed Mark, to make these is decisions it perception, ourselves? Is it reality? Let, yeah. me, let me tell you a story. Last Saturday afternoon, my wife and I were watching one of our granddaughters in a dance competition over in Daytona. She's sitting there in the middle of the auditorium with a mask. Mm-hmm. She's a critical care ICU nurse, so she's a health care professional like yourself. 
I reached, I whispered over to her, you've already had both vaccines. Right. You can't give it to anybody. Mm-hmm. You can't catch it from anybody. Why are you wearing a mask? Right. She laughed and kept her mask on. Right, right. But it was the perception <laughs> of other people in the room, right? I mean, because, that's exactly I right. Mean, I, and it is. It's 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 become it's become a thing. And and I think the messaging here now now it wasn't just Governor DeSantis, right? So that's so right. a number of Republican governors across the yeah. across the country have dates that are actually most of the dates are a little later yeah. than ours. Uh, so, some supersede ours, right. but so there's definitely a statement here. And I think you know we'd like our listeners to become responsible for their own health care. Exactly. Right. And I think that statement is something that most of us can agree to. Yes. And, you know, if if things that we do affect others, well, that's that's a different issue. Of course. And that's the debate that's going to go on and go on and go well, on. I think the personal side of this is each individual knows where their boundaries are. Yes. And you have to know how to protect yourself in spite of any government mandates. And I, I hope that the reason behind Governor DeSantis's executive order and, and terminating all the COVID requirements is because he has enough faith in people that they can make their own decisions. No, that would that would be good. And yeah. and I yeah. think that's you know, that's where we need to go. That's exactly where and we need to go. Because you know, most things don't, thank goodness, don't rise to the level of a pandemic. Most things are just right around there and everybody has to decide what is good for themselves and that's a lot that's a lot of you know why we're here and why right. we have these discussions so. and as you well know we've seen a lot of controversy of people criticizing him for doing this oh well, we're going uh, to even it's, our it's own mayor here right? in orlando sure well yeah. you knew that was going to happen yeah. because because yeah. our uh, you know, mayor demings has has been very active and putting together things to right. protect the public and correct and so that it's definitely they're they're not they're not working side by side. On and then this the one. school districts have also said we're not going to drop our mandates yet. Right, Orange County. Yeah. Yet Seminole County considered it in their last board meeting yep. and decided they would review it again in their next board meeting. Right. So it was basically extended for another 30 days. Well, Dr. Mark, the reality is that uh, Florida, Florida's decision yesterday by the governor joined 17 other states. Yeah, 17. That's right, true, right. John. Yep, yep, yep. 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 No, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, and I think that uh, a lot of those things are going to come down to indiv- everything is sort of fifty fifty, you know. And 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 when we look at the different school boards, it's going to be the makeup of the boards and what they think. But this is definitely the most political illness in the history of the world, without a doubt. I mean, it's really something else. But now, but I think the important thing, Doctor Mark, is we're making progress against this pandemic to back to normalize our life. I think we are. Um, I think here in the U.S., with some exceptions, some states, even the states that have had trouble are having some bounce backs. But we've also seen a drop in the number of vaccines being delivered per day, right, Larry? Yes, almost and, a half a million. Yeah, so off, you know, we were, yeah, we're, we're down that from three and a half over million. three and a half yeah. million. We're down under three million now. So, you know, where does that come from? We still see a lot of concern with the Johnson & Johnson COVID yes. vaccine. Yep. Um, you know, national surveys are still supporting mm-hmm. that that lots of Americans are not going to take that vaccine and maybe not taking any vaccine. J&J right. vaccine. And, uh, you know, there's definitely with Moderna and Pfizer is a much higher level of confidence. Yes. Not only, you know, it's interesting because not only is the level of confidence that they're not going to be harmed by the vaccine, but that it's somehow a better vaccine. And there's no data to support no. that. But right. but so it is, It's it became a very emotional issue. Right. And, you know, we're going to have to see where that goes, because as we said, we talked about this mm-hmm. last week, the AstraZeneca vaccine and the James A vaccine, which are similar in, in their design, yes. are going to be the worldwide vaccines. Right. Right. And so how does that how does that really play right. out? Well, we've seen a couple of things, too, uh, by large companies. Cigna 
just recently added an offering to incentivize their employees right. to be vaccinated, offering them a $200 health savings account credit yep. if they got vaccinated. Nope, good idea. They also, the state of West Virginia offer is offering a $100 savings bond to all young people between the ages of 16 and 35 to if you get this vaccination, you get a $100 savings bond, which is being funded by the CARES Act. Right. And, you know, I saw this. Yep. There were some uh, folks in uh, medical transportation and the companies were on board early with being able to get the vaccines because they were you know, healthcare delivery folks. And large numbers of these folks in the teen to early 20s just weren't interested. So they did. They, they said, we'll put 50 bucks on your paycheck if you get it done. Right. So we got to motivate somehow. And, uh, you know, that's I definitely uh, definitely support those those moves. Well, Dr. Mark, I want to talk about an issue that uh, I know is close to you, and that's children. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, announced that ages 12 to to 15, I believe it was, are now can get the, the Pfizer vaccine. Right. What's your thoughts on that? Well, because you know the vaccination issue has always been a big, big issue with moms and dads right, right. regarding their children. But again, this is a a very different vaccine, mm-hmm. and the quote unquote childhood vaccines that that really make have made the news over the decades are really those younger vaccines because mm-hmm. you know there's a a lot of discussion and and like the you know, four in one those kind of right, things right yeah. and they get right off the bat. This is a very different vaccine, yeah. uh, and I mean I'm not a a big anti-vaxxer. To start with, right. uh, so I would have to say, you know, I would support getting the kids vaccinated because mm-hmm. similar to the idea that if we don't vaccinate the world and we have travelers mm-hmm. that come in, we're going to keep getting bumps. If we don't vaccinate the, the school age kids, they're definitely going to asymptomatically pass this on yes. and it, we're going to have a rolling issue. And, and yeah. we don't really want to see this even turn into the flu situation where the We're influenza. Back, yeah. Can, yeah. can we yeah. make it more like small, smallpox where sure. we can eradicate it completely? I mean, no, well, where no one's do you really think the schools that. are going to go with this? Uh, are they going to require kids eventually to get these vaccinations? I or? don't think they will. I don't think they'll take that big a jump. I think they're going mm-hmm. to encourage. Um, I, I believe that because it's been such a political issue that, you know, the, the schools as individual areas might do things. Some of the private schools might do things. But mm-hmm. I think. The uh, public schools, I don't did, think they'll draw that line. Did you see that announcement about that private school down in Miami? No, no. That uh, the owner of the private school told the parents that if their kids were going to be vaccinated, that they couldn't come to the school anymore? Mm, if, she if they felt, were vaccinated? Yeah. She actually felt that if you're vaccinated and you stand next to someone else, you can give them the... the uh, wow. The COVID nineteen. That, that sounds like the old totally to- off the wall. STDs and toilet seats. And oh uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That is that this is totally was all the over wall. the news for what, several days. What news are you watching? I don't know. I know I missed out on that. What happened to choice? Though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well, I mean that's that's the issue. I don't. Yeah. I think that that's where the line is going to be drawn. It's going to push towards education and you know taking care of yourself, taking care of your your friends and choice. Right. So that's going to be the balance. And and I mean today to be fair. If anyone is told they have to do anything, there's an uprising of some group somewhere, somehow. So I think they really need to realize that that's going to happen sure. and, and play it out, yeah. right? We're talking about uh, uh, possible assumptions in health care for the rest of 2021, 2022. Yes. When we come back, we'll talk about the ACA yeah. and how we believe it will reemerge and be even stronger. John? I need to remind our audience to please share your thoughts by calling 407-701-7424 or email healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. Larry, I'm really excited about our next guest. 
He's an absolute healthcare pioneer in Central Florida. Don't change the channel. We'll be right back. Angela Sells Orlando, also known as your realtor on call. Central Florida's relocation and luxury real estate specialist. Looking for concierge services? Relocating to Central Florida? Buying? Selling? Buying and selling? Helping to maximize your return and fighting for the best deal. Preferred lenders available. Specializing in relocation for physicians, healthcare professionals, and high net worth individuals. Assisting with location placement, school tours, banking and financial connections, introductions to athletic and social memberships, testimonials and references available upon request. Reach me 24-7, text 407-616-3513 or email Angela at AngelaSellsOrlando.com and always remember to connect on LinkedIn. Be healthy, be safe, and reopen this great nation's economy. Are your annual wellness visits 60% completed? Medicare requires 60%. ThoughtSwift provides a turnkey solution, reducing AWVs 5 to 20 minutes, software-generated care plans, providing patient conversations and billing codes, improving macro, MIPS, and HEDIS, net $125 plus per AWV. Interested? John Fogarty, 609-605-605. 6859-609-605-6859. It's not really a long surgery. The recovery time was practically nothing. Pretty much a piece of cake. I look at my scar as my battle scar. You know, I won the battle. Went from death's door to I'm me again. I am enjoying life. I can count on tomorrow. Barostim is an option for heart failure patients with reduced ejection fraction. To learn more about the therapy and important safety information, please visit www.cvrx.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. I'm Larry Jones, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, Dr. Mark. And we are so happy today to have Dr. Frank Piano an internal medicine physician up in the villages. And everybody knows the villages is a really hopping place. Uh, welcome, Dr. Ponder, to Healthcare Now this afternoon. We're delighted to have you on the show. Well, Larry and Dr. Mark, thank you very much for allowing me this opportunity to participate with you. Yeah. You know, you've been one of our leading advocates in our IPN organization since the inception in 2015. And even before IPN, uh, you and I and you were the leader and instrumental in leading our IPA organization formation up in the villages. And you are also one of our high-performing value-based practices. That means that definitely means a lot to us. Yeah, um, I mean that's yep. those are statements that uh, we won't make you answer to, but we know we yep. know it's true, and we really appreciate you. Yep. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Well, um, I'm actually from Long Island, New York. I started off in healthcare as a volunteer fireman and a paramedic back then, called a pre-hospital coronary care technician. Went to St. John's University and the United States Public Health Health Service Academy uh, on the Physician's Assistant Program. Uh, Graduated from there, ended up going out and managing some private practices. Later on in life, at the age of 39, I applied to medical school and got into Nova Southeastern. Um, Graduated from there in 2001 and did my medical residency at Mount Sinai in uh, Miami. Nice. Very nice. Wow, you have really come up through the ranks. Yeah. How long have yeah. you been in the uh, Central Florida area? 
been in Central Florida for 16 years now. 16 years, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So, so we mentioned earlier that you're one of our high-performing and in-demand physicians, and and those are those are nice labels to have. But how would you put words to that? How how do you how do you get in that position? What does it mean to you and your practice to be that kind of in-demand group? Well, I, I think it, it's very important to stay at the top of your game. I think what helps us do this is we have the time to spend with our patients. Uh, We only run two rooms in our practice. We have large screen TVs in all of them. Um, It it allows us to place our labs and our imaging and any cartoons that I can use to teach the patients Mm -hmm. or videos or x-rays. You know, this allows us to really um, drive home the points that we need to work with our patients. Okay, and so, we allow them some opportunities to, uh, well, we are a lot of opportunities to uh, participate in the decision-making process. So as I sort of picture that, and, and thank you for your words, because it kind of gave me a good picture of what your office must be like, I'm seeing something where people aren't feeling rushed. You're spending a lot of time with them. How much time do you think you spend with your individual patients? Let's say not on a brand new visit, but on a yearly visit. Um, on a standard visit, we probably spend about 30 minutes. Wow. And that oh, doesn't that's... include the time that our patients prep uh, wow. by our, our uh, MAs. Yeah, yeah I'm, and, and yeah. I know that you, you know that that's, that's unusual, and we, we would say fantastic. I think one of the biggest complaints that, that we get in, in healthcare against physicians and against providers is that we always seem so rushed and we don't spend the time to listen and, you know, it seems yeah. like that, that crazy bill that they get was certainly not satisfied by the amount of time that we spent. So kudos. And how do you do, I mean, how, how do you do that? How do you support that financially? I'm sure that's, you've got a, you've got a formula that's working. Well, you know, my staff actually does a lot of the prep work for me and that helps me a lot. And we also engage in testing. You know, in the past, we used to send out a lot of our testing uh, to outside physicians, and now we don't. We have our own EKGs, our own spirometries. We do um, autonomic nervous uh, autonomic testing. Uh, We also do our own EMGs and nerve conduction studies. Uh, We brought in our own ultrasound uh, provider, and he will come in and we'll do the procedures right in our office. I think the fact that we try to offer more of a one-stop shop as much as we can for our patients allows us to increase the time that we actually spend with them without um, driving our practice into financial ruin. Interesting. Dr. Pano, uh, you've been in practice for quite a while, and I, and I really found it interesting, which I did not know you had gone from an EMS to a PA to a physician. How have you seen the practice of medicine changing over these years, particularly the role of the primary care physician, which you are today? Well, I think the the greatest change is in the primary care physician is the ability to actually work as the conductor. Um, And and I say this to my patients frequently, and I usually create a a, a little diagram for them with me being in the center and then my cardiologist being in the upper left, my rheumatologist being on the right, my nephrologist being down at the bottom, um, and my surgeon on the other side. I I think Mm -hmm. one of the great aspects that my practice allows me to do is actually coordinate the care amongst them all because frequently those physicians on the corners have no idea what the other physicians are doing. 
Right. And and I think the patients truly appreciate that we can do that for yeah. them. I like that term conductor. Yeah, no, it, it yeah. does. Again, yeah. it paints a really, really good picture. I, you, ha, you have an imagination and you're putting it these these operational pictures mm-hmm. down. I can see how that's making these things work. How do you, how do you increase the demands? One of the things that I've talked about and other physicians have been on talk about is the the time that we spend on the EMR, the administrative paperwork, and we've used that as an excuse to drag us out of the patient room, which is just wrong. How, how do you find the ways to balance that? You mentioned that you do get your, your staff does some of your prep work, but more specifically, what do you do? Well, I don't think there's a simple answer to that, Dr. Mark. Um, and, and if you were to ask my wife, um, she wants to know where I'm crawling uh, and going out of bed to at five o'clock in the morning, but I'm going to be real honest. I am I am um, usually up by five five thirty in the morning, handling many of the aspects of the practice. I still do my own payroll. I do participate in the billing, uh, but I try to at that point in time prep all of my charts for the entire day, right. and, and that's what really helps me. I think, uh, and then also there are times that we miss something, um, and we have a patient who's coming in. And by that 7.30, I can at least speak with the staff and saying, hey, I need this, I need that. We didn't get the consult note. We didn't get the ultrasound. So that helps save us time. Right. But the staff really helps a lot. Well, it helps save them time and time in the office. It sounds like it had your time still at 5 in the morning. But <laughs> but uh, how do you, when, when, when I'm visualizing that, when I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to look at my patient's charts for the day, what screams at me is the number of no-shows that I experience and the amount of frustration I'll have. How have you gotten your patient? Because I suspect your patients show up. And as a surgeon, that's a problem, Dr. Yeah, Mark. it is. It is. <laughs> so, I mean, but I, I, um, I yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, we don't worry about the no-shows. Uh, you know, we, nobody likes to see a no-show on their schedule. But if they don't show up, we just end up moving on to the next patient. Uh, again, all of my staff, we don't use an automated system. We've looked at a few automated systems to call the patient the day before. But each one of our patients gets a phone call from a staff member the day before. I think that also helps encourage them. You know, they're not talking to a machine. They're talking to a staff member. The staff member at that point in time is making sure that they've done everything they're supposed to do. If not, sometimes we do reschedule them, but we have a, a great wait list. Um, and we can usually call other patients to fill those slots in if need be. Yeah, you and Dr. Mark were talking about the EHR and the paperwork administrative piece. To put you on the spot here, what is the least thing you like to do when it comes to paperwork as a primary care physician? Because not only are you the conductor, you're the gatekeeper of most of the care with these patients. I know we don't use that term very much, but if there were one thing you wish you didn't have to do, what would that be, Dr. Pino? It's probably searching for information. And, you know, okay, I'm, right. I'm a great believer okay. in having old data. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see the old notes from the previous PCP. I want to see the notes from the cardiologist. You know, in our environment here, you know, being a New Yorker, having trained in Miami, we live in the snowbird world. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And trying to get information from what's going on up in, in, in the Northeast or even the Midwest, which many of our patients come from, from Michigan and Wisconsin, um, that's the toughest thing where we've requested information and then the patient's sitting in front of me and I don't have those data points. Mm-hmm. But I do spend a lot of time reviewing the charts when I do get them. And sometimes that can be tedious to pull out the mm-hmm. information that I truly need. But I think in the long run, it truly helps us. You know, we uh, we, we see customer satisfaction surveys 
And Dr. Pino, I, I want to tell you, you're off the charts when it comes to the customer, the, the patient satisfaction surveys that we get back regarding our value-based programs. And of course, you were at the ground floor of uh, helping us start some of these programs with the major payers and have been a leader in our organization uh, even now. But I think you mentioned you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and you're looking at your charts. I think that explains a lot about why you're that performing high-in-demand practice. Right, right. I think yeah. it's it's hard to it's hard to duplicate some of the things that you you state, but yeah. but you know yeah. there. But I think at the end of the day, what Larry said is is your results are evidence. They show. Yeah, they show. and so yeah. that's that's really yeah. something not only to be proud of, but yeah. I mean, if I ha- if I had to challenge this, is it would be to figure out how we can make that efficiency improve and let you sleep in another forty five minutes. Yeah. Oh, I'd love another forty five minutes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Pino, you know, we're, um, we're going to take a break for a second, but when we come back, we're going to begin. We've got a lot more to talk to you about, but we're going to talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way you practice medicine. We'll be right back. If you have questions for Dr. Pano, please call us 407-701-7424 or email us at healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. We'll be right back. It's not really a long surgery. The recovery time was practically nothing. Pretty much a piece of cake. I look at my scar as my battle scar. You know, I won the battle. Went from death's door to I'm me again. I am enjoying life. I can count on tomorrow. Barostim is an option for heart failure patients with reduced ejection fraction. To learn more about the therapy and important safety information, please visit www.cvrx.com. Angela Sells Orlando, also known as your realtor on call, Central Florida's relocation and luxury real estate specialist. Looking for concierge services? Relocating to Central Florida? Buying? Selling? Buying and selling? Helping to maximize your return and fighting for the best deal. Preferred lenders available. Specializing in relocation for physicians, healthcare professionals, and high net worth individuals. Assisting with location placement, school tours, banking and financial connections, introductions to athletic and social memberships, testimonials and references available upon request. Reach me 24-7, text 407-616-3513 or email Angela at AngelaSellsOrlando.com and always remember to connect on LinkedIn. Be healthy, be safe, and reopen this great nation's economy. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Life can be challenging even before COVID. Everyone experiences worry, anxiety, or even depression occasionally. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by stress, isolated due to COVID, are a caregiver to aging parents, or are dealing with any major life transition, Counseling Resource Services can help. We provide in-home and telehealth counseling covered by Medicare. Contact us at 407-654-4433 or visit us. Mark Chayot, MD 
practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. This is Larry Jones, and we're talking with Dr. Frank Piano, internal medicine physician in the villages. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Piano. And again, we were going to start this off with, and we've talked about a lot of things so far, but how has this pandemic changed the way you practice medicine today? And any thoughts on that? Well, I think one of the biggest ways it's changed our practice has been incorporating telehealth. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of Mark Siegel. He's been all over the TV. Yep. He's the chief of the medical staff at NYU Langone. And I remember listening to him at the beginning of this whole pandemic, and he's an expert in pandemics, and his comment was he didn't really enjoy the concept of telehealth. Um, well, I think if you were to talk to him today, he'd, he'd totally changed his Different mind, story. As yeah. I have. Yeah. You know, I've had many patients who have been fearful of leaving their homes. Um, I've been able mm-hmm. to stay connected with them. Um, I've been able to encourage them when they really did need to come to the office or when they really need, needed to go to the emergency room. We've been able to maintain their refills, guide them through their, their, um, their uh, appointments with their consultants. Um, and, and I think telehealth has allowed us to do that. Any idea about your utilization there? I know it went from zero to some other number, but where where, are you, where do you sit now with telehealth as a percentage of your visits? Well, um, I'd have to sit here and say it's about 40% of our visits now. Um, we were 100% telehealth during the high point of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We're back at the point now where we see patients in the office uh, in the mornings, Monday through Friday, and in the afternoons uh, on Mondays. Uh, Tuesdays we we reserve for some of our procedures. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday we still maintain telehealth, and, and Friday afternoons we take off early. Excellent. Uh, that's, that sounds like a great organization. Have you adopted any health, uh, mental health screening tests or anything during the pandemic? Well, I believe it's the PHQR9 that we use. Right, mm-hmm. that's right. Um, and our, our staff does question the patients. And, again, sometimes I think, um, you can pick that up in the tone of their voices or watching them on the screen. Um, I think that's very, very uh, critical. Uh, uh, many of our um, older population um, have kind of isolated, and I talk with them about that frequently. You know, are you getting out? Are you doing, you know, the Zoom um, happy hours? Not that we should be talking about alcohol, but, you know, many of the people in the villages will have these little happy hour meetings where they sit at the four corners of their driveway or they participate across a fence. Wow. So I, I think helping them stay connected with each other is very, very important. I think they're back to the town hall centers now, right, Dr. Pina? Um, They've been back there for a while. Okay. Um, but I have many patients who still won't go back there. Oh, they're, okay. they're still very uh, leery of that tomorrow. Interesting. Now, you alluded to this at the break, um, but when, when we're talking about empowering folks to take care of themselves and to be really active participants in their healthcare, And that's what this show is really about. What expectations do you communicate to your patients regarding compliance and, and, you know, 
taking on their healthcare needs as a serious part of, of what they do day to day? Well, I'm going to tell you, I've probably changed over the years. I was very, very uh, regimented in how I would deal with my patients. I found that that was an attack that worked for me. <laughs> um, I tell the patients right at the very outset, I'm never going to force you or ask you to do anything. Okay? Never, ever, ever. And I usually the eyebrows go up at that time. I said, <laughs> what I will do is I'll take you through the process. I'm going to show you the labs. I'm going to show you the imaging. I'm going to talk to you about your alternatives. I'm going to talk to you about various treatments, and then hopefully we're going to come together and come up with a, a plan that we can both work with. Um, and then once we get that plan, it's up for you to stay the course because we've done this together. So during the uh, pandemic, did you see some of your patients uh, just avoid care and see their chronic illnesses increase and get worse? Or were you able, sounds like you were able to control a good portion of that. I think we had had a good number of patients that we were able to stay in contact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were very leery of the telehealth in the beginning, but we were able to uh, get them connected and, and stay the course. Um, I'm not going to sit there and say it, it didn't happen. I mean, yesterday I saw a patient that we hadn't seen in seven months who mm-hmm. went from a grade A1C of 6.5 to 11.5. Oh, wow. Um, and yep. he just stopped participating. He stopped taking care of himself. He stopped sure. filling his meds. So, you know, we're in the process of resetting him. So it's not always a win every time, but I think overall uh, we've been able to communicate with our patients. And now that they're starting to come back, you know, we don't berate them. Uh, Mm -hmm. We work with them. Hey, let's get reset. Let's get back on plan. Right. No, I think you have to. And it's got to be client by client, person by person, because everybody responds differently. With your experience, I'm sure you have a, a pretty good judgment. Do you find that with telehealth, you're able to continue that sort of sixth sense of, of what, what patients need? Well, you know, I, I think all of us, I mean, you, you, Dr. Mark, are an interviewer. I mean, we all are as, as physicians. Mm-hmm. And I think our skill sets go up, um, and we have to hone our skills a little bit more when we talk to people simply over the phone. And, and again, you know, even when we look at people um, with, with the uh, telehealth screens, you know, you can kind of see their homes a little bit. You can see what's going on with them. Right. So I I do Mm -hmm. think that, you know, we can still keep that connection and do what we need to do. Again, not at 100%, but um, we we do try our best to to maintain that contact with the patients. And again, we could have just stopped, and I don't think that would have helped any of us. No, I know you're absolutely right, and that's that seems to be the way that some people struggle more with that. Some some of the providers struggle more, but I'm, I'm happy to that your practice is really uh, really utilized telehealth so well. Dr. Pina, we talk about in value-based care, and you've been a proponent of this all along, how important that annual wellness visit is with our listeners. Can you talk about that for a minute? Well, I think that, that's another critical aspect of what we do with our patients. You know, some patients will fight you on this because they're like, this is a wasted visit, and I say it's really not. You know, we've kind of established a care plan for you for the year, and then we see you maybe two or three times during that year. Well, this is one time to come back together, look at that plan. Are we doing what we want with that plan? Are you participating and doing what we expect you to do with that plan? And if not, what can we do to get you back on track? And then obviously things occur during the year. How do we have to improvise that plan? How do we have to adapt it? And how do we get you back on the course so that we're working together? And we try to make sure that we don't miss anything or let anything slip through the crack at that time, too. Right. So those those visits are really 
the the keystone to, it's to all the, the baseline. Care. Yeah, I yeah. mean, really, yeah. really neat. And and we, I think it was last week we were talking about the difference between that annual wellness <laughs> visit and other visits. Right. And I think a lot of folks, if if they jump from provider to provider, they're in, in big practice groups and they see a lot of different doctors. They kind of you know they and they come in because they didn't, don't feel well. They might have a URI. Something's going on, and then they turn around and and say, "Oh, you need to come for your annual wellness." You're like, "Well, I was just there." So I mean, that's that's I don't know if you get much pushback with that. I suspect that you don't because you have you have a unique practice, and to me, it's it's sadly unique because it really needs to be the way that primary care is delivered in this in this country. And and I mean, again, hats off to to what you and your office does. You know, we we continually. We kind of shift gears. We talked a lot about the patients, and and you know that as I think we all would have to agree that the the problem in healthcare are the physicians. <laughs> okay, okay, I was, that was tongue in cheek. I was just kind of <laughs> no, but one of the one of the issues we do have with physicians is physician engagement in our programs as organizers. Um, let's say that uh, I decided, man, boy, that was a great talk. You know, Doctor Panel, would you would you want to, would you give a a little a clinic, you know, could we sit down in front of a hundred primary care physicians and have you talk about how you do things? You'd be <clears> on board. I think board. we should do that, Doctor. I'm, I'm writing it down. <laughs> I've got a date picked out. But but how do we engage our physician colleagues to participate participate in these things, these ideas of you know learning and betterment that that we should be doing? Yeah. That's that's how we go yeah. where we are. Yeah. What's with, the message? Education. Yeah. How do we get them? Yeah. Well, you know, Dr. Marker, I think you were right. We are the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at healthcare um, in general and all the people who work in it, the physicians are at the lower rung of physician enga- uh, of engagement, and, and that's a major problem. I think part of that, too, has to deal with the organization that you are, are working with, whether it be your practice, whether it be the hospital. I think one of the things is, is uh, letting everybody know what the expectations are. You have to understand that on both sides that you know what the goals are. I think physicians have to learn to participate um, in the decision-making process. This is a big aspect, you know, and I'm sure you've been to meetings, Dr. Mark, where, you know, there's probably Z's going on in the back from people snoring right? because they're just putting in their time, and, and they're really not participating. They don't get that this is an important part, uh, part of the process. I think the next aspect is, and this is really the main one, is putting the patient at the center. If you don't put the patient at the center, you're not going to get that physician engagement. And I think that's very, very key. Developing physician leaders is another aspect. Again, many people sit there on the sidelines. It's, it's, you know, great to make comments from the cheap seats, but come on up here and help me fix the problems. And that's a key thing. And that has to come from administration or the organization and the physicians themselves and also peer-to-peer accountability. You know, I think overall... Physicians want to do well for their patients, and they want to see what other physicians are doing. And if physician X is really performing well, well, how do I get that in my practice? Exactly. You know, how do I show my patients that I care that well? Um, And then us critiquing each other in a positive manner. You know, there was was a movie years ago in the line of fire um, with John Malkovich, and uh, I'm trying to remember who the other lead was, was was, uh, Clint Eastwood. And his comment was, Malkovich's comment was at one point, because he's trying to impress the local people with money at this presidential event, is, you know, the Japanese, they don't worry about placing blame on anyone. If you fix the problem, nobody worries about the blame at that point in time. Right. So if we go out and we learn to help each other, 
and guide each other to better practices, we're not going to worry about blaming people because everybody's yeah. going to win at that point. Yes. So now I've had to I have to change my plan to have you have a meeting. We're going to have a series. So we're going to get together later and <laughs> set that up. Multiple we, webinars. Yep. <laughs> well, Dr. Pino, we've kind of run out of time here, but uh, it has been very informative, and we'd like to have you on the show again. But again, I want to thank you for setting the bar high yes. for our physician organization and its leaders in this organization, and we hope to have you on again. Yeah, I echo that. Thank you so yeah. much. Dr. Pano, well, how, can our, how can our audience uh, reach you if they have questions or would like to schedule with you? Well, our office number is 352-633-0778. That's 352-633-0778. And I just want to remind our audience, please call us with your questions, 407-701-7424, or email us, healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com, and we'll be right back. It's not really a long surgery. The recovery time was practically nothing. Pretty much a piece of cake. I look at my scar as my battle scar, you know. I won the battle. Went from death's door to I'm me again. I am enjoying life. I can count on tomorrow. Barostim is an option for heart failure patients with reduced ejection fraction. To learn more about the therapy and important safety information, please visit www.cvrx.com. Angela Sells Orlando, also known as your realtor on call. Central Florida's relocation and luxury real estate specialist. Looking for concierge services? Relocating to Central Florida? Buying? Selling? Buying and selling? Helping to maximize your return and fighting for the best deal. Preferred lenders available. Specializing in relocation for physicians, healthcare professionals, and high net worth individuals. Assisting with location placement, school tours, banking and financial connections, introductions to athletic and social memberships, testimonials and references available upon request. Reach me 24-7, text 407-616-3513 or email Angela at AngelaSellsOrlando.com and always remember to connect on LinkedIn. Be healthy, be safe, and reopen this great nation's economy. Are your annual wellness visits 60% completed? Medicare requires 60%. ThoughtSwift provides a turnkey solution, reducing AWVs 5 to 20 minutes, software-generated care plans, providing patient conversations and billing codes, improving macro MIPS and HEDIS, net $125 plus per AWV. Interested? John Fogarty, 609-605-605. 6859-609-605-6859. Life can be challenging, even before COVID. Everyone experiences worry, anxiety, or even depression occasionally. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by stress, isolated due to COVID, are a caregiver to aging parents, or are dealing with any major life transition, Counseling Resource Services can help. We provide in-home and telehealth counseling covered by Medicare. Contact us at 407-654-4433 or visit us on the web at counselingresourceservices.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, IP Network Florida. 
Bookshop.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. What an interesting guy. Dr. Mark, as a surgeon, what's your biggest takeaway from our conversation with Dr. Pano? Well, I think, you know, we talked about it a bit with him is, you know, the, the best way to engage your patients is to spend time with them. And it works not only with their, their satisfaction of the visit, but it actually gives them a chance to tell you more, uh, for you to interview, you know, interview them longer, learn more about what's going on. And I mean, it's, it's a win, win, win all the way around. The giveaway is the way we're structured for financial reimbursement. There's a certain number of patients that have to be seen per day if you're going to keep the lights on. And, and he has a formula here. Um, we've, we've talked about this, you know, you can't be in the game to make money, make money, make money. You've got to have a balance. And he's clearly, clearly got an amazing balance. Um, well, he's I, got I, a I lean and mean more. staff. He does. That's uh, one. Right. He's got an efficiency yep. model efficiency that makes sense. And, yep. Yep. you know, I think it's something we were kidding. We weren't kidding about those meetings with him because I think he could teach, yes. teach and teach. I agree. But I'll also tell you that there are physicians that will never learn yep. how to do what he does. Yeah. Right. So it's just it's it's it takes a certain type of personality. Well, I'll tell you, the other thing that Dr. Pano could bring to the table is HCC chronic condition coding mm-hmm. for Medicare patients. You know, he's up in the villages right. where, you know, 95 percent of those people are retirees and on Medicare. Right. And he he knows how to do that. And a lot of our physicians they are don't. still trying to understand. Right. That. They struggle. They yeah, struggle. They struggle. So, yep. Yep. So that little bit, little bit of a aside there, but yeah, yep. an amazing man. I, I look forward to getting to yep. know him better yep. and I hope uh, yep. people that live in his area and are looking for a physician can seek him out and Absolutely. people that don't can uh, go to their physicians and say, Hey, yeah. be like Frank. I can tell you his practice is growing every month. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And he's got a lot of competition up in that villages area. Yep. All right. Well, let's okay. jump back to issues for 2020, 2021. Yep. And I think uh, when we left the first uh, segment we talked about the ACA and what's going to happen there. Right. I and mean, what, what's what's the prediction? Well, you know the ACA will reemerge and be even stronger. And as you know, the normal enrollment period is October fifteenth to December seventh, mm-hmm. and the Biden administration re-upped that enrollment period February one to May thirty first. And now they've extended it right. all the so way to the August, the end right. of August. Right. And during that first six week of open enrollment. There were half a million more people joined the ACA roles. Right. So that's so when we look at the you know what the ACA brings to the table, and so the mm-hmm. whole idea was to get a marketplace network that offered products that were easy to access. You could sit at your desk, do it online, do it yourself, and they would be cheap based on you know what your income was. You know mm-hmm. maybe your copays weren't going to be as much. You know maybe, maybe your deductibles were going to be lower, and then add to that money that's coming in from the stimulus bill, right. making that number even lower. So if we're going to say it's emerging, you know, even better, even stronger, what we're really saying is we're giving it easier access because yep. you, you can't, you're not just got that right. month to do it. And it, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Dr. Mark, the three pillars of the Biden administration regarding health care policy is about rescue, jobs and family. Mm-hmm. And as written in the ACA stabilization through these enhanced subsidies, if you recall, beginning in February, the subsidies doubled and tripled right. compared to what the original open enrollment period was back in the fall of right. last year. Right. 
So that's where I think people continue to understand it's it is going to get stronger. And, you know, this idea of you don't have a subsidy, it's just a normal health insurance right. program. And but the next question I have is the sustainability mm-hmm. of that model. And that's yep. that's where we're going. Yep. Because what we're doing is we're putting more cash Trillions into the front of dollars. end. Yeah. Yep, the pr- printing money and putting mm-hmm. it into that end to continue to spend on things that we have to argue are costing too much. Right. Right. So when we talk about the ACA getting stronger, I, which I just want to balance that what that yep. what that really is yep. going to mean in the big picture of healthcare, and what we really need okay. is to decrease healthcare costs, not just costs yep. to the individuals, but the actual. Well, native I mean, cost of what healthcare is, and and you bring up an excellent point, Doctor Mark. We're a four trillion dollar healthcare industry today. It's predicted by twenty thirty, it'll be an eight trillion dollar industry. And this isn't going to slow it down. <laughs> no, right? not at and, all. And, and, and I'm not saying it shouldn't have happened. I think it was yep. something that could be done quite easily, quite quickly. Certainly, open enrollment. I mean, it makes no sense that open enrollment right. so short for any of these policies. But so so that's access, access, access right. is very important. Right. But the 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 real item is on the other side you control of what the things cost. cost. Yep. Yeah, what yep. things cost. Because if you bring that down, these other numbers are going to come down naturally. Well, you know, that leads right into another piece of this. Mm-hmm. The value-based movement right. is going to change the course of how high quality and lower cost are delivered in this country. Right. So it leads right into that. Yep. You know, we can't continue to sustain a 25% of our GDP towards no. health care. No, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's not going to work. Yeah, yep. it's not going to work. And so we've talked a lot about the value, value-based care movement. And that is something that's going to bring numbers yep. down because at the end of the day, the insurers have a certain amount of money that they can take home as profit per year. And if we are bringing down what they're shelling out, then mm-hmm. that everything right. everything evens out. And that's a way to actually save the cost of health care. Right. So definitely big proponents of that. Well, the value-based we movement is definitely a bipartisan yeah. issue. Yes. It's across the aisles. It is. But, you know, for our listening audience, Dr. Mark, Give them just a one-minute definition of, again, what is value-based care? What is that model? So value-based care examines what the cost of care of a, a group is going to be. So if you've got a group, in this case, we're dividing up into a payer's group. So if you have mm-hmm. a certain number of covered lives, at the, the payers are expecting to spend X number of dollars per year on their care. If the providing agents, the physicians, the providers, mm-hmm. if they actually can achieve care at a lower dollar amount, they get to split some of the savings with the payers. Shared savings. Shared savings. That's correct. And so that that over and above what you normally bill and collect as a physician during the year. You get your contracted rate plus that. So so that's your your motivation. And what we've seen with value-based care is it's not just cheaper, it's better. So the patient outcomes are better. The patient satisfaction is improved. So all around... It just seems to be, yeah. you know, a, a, a win. And, and summing it up, I think it's about the right care at the right time at the right place mm-hmm. for an appropriate amount of money. Right, because there's, there's a lot of emphasis on preventative care. There's a lot of emphasis mm-hmm. on your annual wellness check. There's a lot of emphasis on checking all the boxes of, yes. of, of yes. chronic illness management. And those are the things that can be sort of mundane. They can be missed by the patient and missed by the physician. But value-based care only works. You only win in that game if you cover all those you know, pieces and check all yeah. those boxes. And let me let me hit on a little statistic. There was a health affairs study done on Medicare between 2013 and 2016 
where it talked about imaging and lab costs. Mm -hmm. And imaging and lab costs for the average Medicare beneficiary increased over $400 per person from 2013 to 2016. Right. And that that goes along with that that 25% of our GDP going out. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we can see where where the money trail is and that's definitely an, an important part of it. So right. we're going to, we're going to have to really address those things going forward right. and, and figure out the, the big question of right. where does the money all end up? Right. Well, another important piece of reining in unsustainable healthcare costs as we move forward is delivering patient care outside the hospital setting. Right. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about in the future, but we can just hit on it a little bit now. Right. And we're we're going to do a whole show on the movement of patient care outside the hospital walls. Right. And this is all based on on the simple observation that a huge percentage of the healthcare costs occur in the hospital. Exactly. And a, a lot of care that is delivered at the hospital, no fault of the hospital, but right. a lot of the, the care that is delivered there can There'll be done. There'll always outside. be a need for the hospital. No question. Yeah. And the hospitals support all this. You know, the emergency rooms, you know, one of the things that we saw with COVID is when people stopped going to the emergency room, yes, there were those that really should have gone and ignored right. their problems. Right. But there were tremendous numbers of people that never should have been in the emergency room at exactly. all. Exactly. And so You don't need to go to the right. ER on Saturday night for a bad cold. Right. And and you go into these ERs during the during the pandemic and they were quite empty in many cases. Yes. Now it, it seems weird because what you saw on TV were the ERs in New York that were overflowing with COVID patients, but that's it's a different issue. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to the community ERs and the, the 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 pandemic is there but the COVID numbers aren't out, you know, out of hand, right. then these ERs were quite empty. And it was the low acuity patients that weren't coming in. Right. Hospitals don't make money on low acuity patients. No, they don't even want them. No, they don't want them. Yeah. So, so we want to have have care. That's just one example of care that can be delivered outside the hospital right. setting. That's going to save the system money and and something that will right. actually bring the cost of healthcare down. Right. And while the delivering outpatient care is important. A couple other strong focuses in value-based care is obviously focusing on lowering drug costs in the U.S., as well as focusing on lowering both Medicare and Medicaid expenditures uh, throughout the country. I think that, you know, it's no secret that drug care is probably the number one issue Without a on, doubt. on the topics yep. that we bring up. So if somebody only lets you strike at one point on how do we decrease the cost of health care, how do we bring that $4 trillion down the answer has yep. got to have yep. the word pharmaceuticals in it two or three times over. I mean, it, it's, it's specialty pharmacy costs are the fastest reason why we're going to get to that 25 percent GDP if we don't get that rain right, in. Right. And I think yep. that's the focus of all the groups that has to become a bipartisan issue. In fact, you know, wh- why there isn't more regulation there, it, it escapes me. It escapes our listeners. And that's something that we'll talk about probably at some point with every show from today on forward. John? A great Mm -hmm. Saturday afternoon. Our hour was basically wound down. We need to recognize our sponsors and advertising partners. A big thank you to our sponsors, Kevin and Raul with CVRX, www.cvrx.com. Angela with Angela Sells Orlando, www.angelasellsorlando.com. I also want to thank my co-host, Dr. Mark, with Pediatric Surgery PA, and Larry Jones with the Integrated Independent Physicians Network. Our advertisers, 
this week were Nick with Healthy Soul Decontamination, Diana Sacato with Sacato Films, John Fogarty with Rx to Live, Thought Swift, April and Mary Catherine with Counseling Resource Services, and myself, John Kelly with OrlandoMedicalNews.com. And a big takeaway, we talk a lot about value-based, but Larry Jones has uh, three or four podcasts that are excellent uh, about value-based. Value-based IQ. And you can find them at OrlandoMedicalNews.com. Larry, a final thought for our audience? Take the time to become an informed healthcare consumer. It's one of the best ways to protect your family. And again, it's been a pleasure starting our new time frame from 1 to 2 on Saturday afternoon. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks, Dr. Martin. Bye-bye. You bet. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to TheAnswerOrlando.com. concerned about health care skyrocketing expenses, monthly premiums approaching $2,000, out-of-pocket expenses up 50% the past 10 years? Introducing Health Care Now, the truth about U.S. health care. Join the discussion, 7 to 8 a.m. Saturday mornings on AM 950 and FM 94.9. Co-hosted by IPN's Mark Chayot and Larry Jones and Orlando Medical News' John Kelly.